You're listening to Awakening with Rabbi Ami Silver on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Ami as he shares the wisdom of the Hasidic master, Rabbi Kolonimus Kalman Shapira of Piazetsna. Through the Piazetsna Rebbe's various works, Rabbi Ami guides us on a unique path of healing, transformation, and awakening to experiencing the divine that is steeped in the Jewish mystical tradition. Um, so we're going to start, we'll start our, our, our tefillah for tefillah, our learning of tefillah, um, which is really the Shem tefillah. The Gemara says that tefillah is something that always needs chizuk, always needs, needs strengthening, which means that I guess it's never quite whole also, but there's always more, there's always another stage to, to arrive at. There's always another piece to engage with. <coughs> we try to not give too much introduction because I think as we go, like every week will be another introduction because Mamash Tfila is such a Devar Kolelet, um, such an all-inclusive Inyan and Avoda. And since it's our central Avoda, Chazal calls it Avoda. <laughs> um, and there's so many aspects and sides to it. What I want to do from for the beginning, and uh, I think kind of we'll, we'll return to in many ways, is that I'm going to start with with basics, basic definitions. We'll start looking at just the word tefillah, how it appears in the Torah, how Chazal and some of the Mefarshim seem to to lift up some of what those meanings are that are embedded in just the basic. Um, Sukim and stories of, of, of Torah, of Tanakh. Um, that's what we'll look at today, to try to get a working definition of tefillah, or at least explore some of the parameters of the definition. Bichlal tefillah is something that uh, Chazal warns us against making it a, a devar kavua, a fixed entity. Let tefillah not be something fixed, concretized static rather it should be rachamim and tachanunim ongoing um, womb like rebirth tachanunim begging beseeching hitchadshut nunis every time we dive in it it's a, it's a devar chadash and, and the, the same is true just because of relating to what tefillah is chas v'shal never say it's one thing it is something that, that really encompasses the entirety of our lives and accompanies us throughout our lives, throughout our days, throughout our years. So, with that in mind, we're going to start with what we have today, and I'll just say one more, one more thing, which is that um, everything we're going to touch on both today and in future classes can be related to on so many levels. Like just like there's Pardes in Torah, just like there's seventy faces of Torah, and there's there's the four basic levels of Pshat Ramiz Drash Sod. Of, of every word of Torah. Same goes with all, with all aspects of tefillah. It can be related to on every level, and we're not going to touch all of them at once, um, but we're going to be opening windows, opening doorways into what these different 
layers of tefillah can mean for us, and each one of us will be taking it in the way that we're taking it in. And something that's important to me at every stage also, whatever we're relating to, whatever aspect of tefillah we're relating to, is that we are relating to its pshat also. Chashuvli, it's very important to me that, that when we're talking about tefillah, about the central core avoda of our, of our lives and of our relationship with the Baruch Hu, is that it relates to the, the pshat in, in a few ways. Pshat of <clears throat> what are the words really meaning? on their most um, immediate level, right? That shouldn't have to like be drying up like meta-compositions in my mind just to, just to touch what's in front of me. That's number one. And also at the same time, the pshat of our own experience. What, what is the pshat of a human being, of us who is praying or who is relating to prayer in, in our own experience? That is another level of pshat. What is the place in which we encounter what we're doing? What does it feel like to be doing this? What is the experience of engaging with this? Okay, so that said, um, don't look at the sheets yet. Where's Where's the first time we hear of tefillah in the Torah, or where's the first tefillah in the Torah? What comes to mind? Adam for rain. Adam davening for rain. So that's true by Chazal, and we'll look at that makor hopefully next week. That Adam davening for rain in Masav Rashi, but. Let's let's stick with with pshat. Where's the first time we see somebody Abraham. meet Palel? Avraham. When is Avraham meet Palel? Um, he wakes up in the morning. Okay. I can't remember exactly. But... When is when is Avraham meet Palel? You're getting close. What? Stom. So Stom is Avraham basically taking God to task. Okay. But the word tefillah doesn't appear there. It's not to say it's not a tefillah. It's not to say Adam's tefillah is not a tefillah. Chazal relates to both of these stories that you've mentioned as places to learn out some of the, the core meanings of tefillah. But the first time the word, the hitpalel, shows up in the Torah is another story about Avraham. It's a story when Avraham and Sarah go to Gerar and they're staying with uh, King Avimelech and Avraham says to Sarah, let's tell him you're my sister. And he takes her into his home and then God appears to Avimelech in a dream and says, don't touch that woman, she's married to that man who's staying with you. I'm going to give you a terrible plague. You and everyone there is going to is going to die. I believe Hashem says if you don't you don't return her to her husband. So in 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 Breshit Kaf Pasuk Zayin is the first makor you have on your pages. Hashem is speaking to Avimelech in a dream and says, "Vi'ata Hashem eshit ha'ish ki naviu vi'it palel ba'adcha v'chia." And now return. The, the wife of that man, because he is a prophet, and he will pray on your behalf, and you will live. So if I never heard of this word tefillah before, I never heard of this concept of tefillah, and I'm just reading the Torah from the beginning, and I come to this word, what do I understand about tefillah? Hashem giving the instruction of someone actually going Okay, interesting. It's something that Hashem is initiating. He will do on your on your behalf, okay. And it be doing for others. It's being done for another person. And it will cause life. It will cause life. Well, it's a source of revival. God says to Avimelech, "You're going to die over this woman because she's married." Avimelech says, "Oh, but how am I? What? Do, I don't know." He said, "She's." Then God says, "Okay, give the give her back, return her to her husband, Man. because he's a prophet." And he'll pray for you, and you'll live. And if he doesn't do the praying, then he won't live. 
Kanirat, there's something strange about the prayer being being that which has to has to change. I mean, it's bizarre because God says, "I'm going to kill you," but if this guy prays for you, I won't. So that's another thing. God says one thing's going to happen, and then God says, "And if he prays, if he's mitpalel, it's not going to happen." I'll bring up one other thing. What is, who cares if he's a prophet? Return her to her husband because he's a prophet and he'll pray for you and you'll live? Is, is a prophet somebody, the only person who knows how to mitpalel? What, is, what does mitpalel have to do with being a prophet? Don't you, don't you mitpalel? Are you a prophet? I'd like to. You don't have to reveal yourself <laughs> in this moment. but <laughs> Yeah, well, but it's still a good point. We can ask that question. So these are just some of the, just some of this, again, what are we looking at here? What are we looking at here? It's a story. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you. You will live. This is the first time we have this word, hitpala. Try to understand what is this word, okay, given its context. So. Sounds like something that has a lot of power in the Bible. It sounds like something that is very, very powerful, yes. So bichlal. The rabbis are very confused by this story, trying to understand, like, asking some of these questions. What do you mean, give the wife back because he's a prophet? If he wasn't a prophet, you shouldn't give his wife back what he needs to pray because he's a prophet. And they ask these questions, and the Rishonim, too, are, are trying to figure out what in the world are we talking about here. So uh, I'll show you Rashi, which is already kind of like a very um, not – it's 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 a parish Rashi isn't really answering our question about the, the essence of prayer. It's almost like uh, make gives us an easy out. Rashi says, "Kinaviu, give the wife, give Sarah back to Avram because he's a prophet." Oh, he's a prophet. Doesn't mean that he's a prophet and therefore he knows how to pray. It means he's a prophet and therefore he knows that even though you took his wife into the palace, you didn't touch her because he has prophetic vision. So he'll pray on your behalf because he knows that that. You were no. you were innocent. Why would he need to pray on his behalf? Okay, do you're asking the right question. You're asking the right question. Why does Avram need to pray anyway? I want to I want to look at the Perish Rashbam. This next one I brought. Mm-hmm. Rashbam is already giving us a little bit of a ta'am of a, a flavor and of a reason. What does Avraham's being a prophet have to do with his ability to pray? So Rashbam says, "Ki navihu lashon niv svatayim." What is a navi? Navi. We call it a prophet. But Rashbam, this is actually brought already in the Chazal, this, this link that between the word Navi and the word Niv Svatayma. Niv is like the express expressiveness, articulation. Yeshayahu says, calls God Boren Niv Svatayim. You are the one who creates articulation of the lips. You allow us you, the ability to express ourselves in speech. Niv means to express. And the truth is, Okay, I'm not going to go there. Neve means to express. <laughs> so the Rashbam says, Bora Neve, sometimes he knows how to pray because he's a Navi, means he's a very articulate. He's expressive. But now look. He, he, now the Rashbam continues to kind of put, put words into God's mouth. What does God mean, Navi hu v'yit palel ba'adcha? Abraham's a Navi and he will pray, he will meet palel on your behalf. Ragil etzli, Avraham is Ragil Etzli. He spends a lot of time with me, God says. He's a regular by me. He speaks my words, which is already where Niv, Fatim, expressiveness, and 
nevu'a and prophecy kind of meet, because this is a human being speaking God's words. That's what a navi is, a human who speaks God's words. V'ani ohevet dvarav. God says that I love his words. V'shomea tfilato. And I listen to his tefillah, to his prayer. So I'm not going to try to understand the theology behind whatever the statement is. But according to the Rashbam, God is saying he's a prophet and therefore he can pray, meaning he has a close relationship with me. He speaks my words and I love his words and, and, and listen to his prayer. It has something to do with the closeness and nature of our relationship and of our, the communication between us that exists because of the nature of that relationship. Maybe it's because the king was an idol worshiper and so he would have thought of God as one of many gods who was angry at him for doing this or that other thing and therefore his prayers wouldn't have the effect of prayers that had the right relationship in mind. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, the Dafka, like, I'm not going to try to like answer the why so much. I'm trying to answer, understand the what right now. We're trying to look at the what. The truth is, Chazal learns from here that if you have a need and your friend has a need, you should pray for your friend's need before, and then your need will also be subsumed in that. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, but we're, we're, again, what what is going on here? Nevuah and prayer. God is saying we we have a closeness of relationship, and so we listen to each other. That's the Rashi. Um, so then I want to look at one more parashir of Sajigon. Sajigon says. That when God says, give Sarah back to Avram, ki navihu, Rav Sajik says, when, when Hashem says, give Sarah back to Avram because he's a Navi, that's not the reason you should give, you should return the wife to her husband. You should return the wife to her husband because that's what you do. Yeah. Rather, it's a reason for what comes next. If he is a prophet and therefore he is going to pray on your behalf. Because Avram is a prophet, his prayer is listened to, is effective. Kakatuv says, I believe. So this is, he's referring to Yirmiyahu, who's basically saying, if they are prophets, let them pray to God and God will listen. There's some assumption here that a prophet is one who knows how to really pray. That real prayer is something that, that prophets, that's like the art of a prophet. Maybe someone who knows how to pray as a prophet. Or, okay, or maybe somebody who really knows how to pray as a prophet. And we're going to come back in, in, in subsequent shiurim to the inyan of prophecy and prayer because nevuah really does play a very central role in, in prayer. And it's, a, it's brought in the shulchan aruch even and in the Torah. And uh, we'll, we'll look at some of these mikorot. But right now we're raising the, the kind of headers and the questions. There's something here having to do with nevuah and tefillah that they live together somehow. And I'll bring you, because I see I have a lot here that I want to go through, and we don't have a lot of time. I'll, some of it I'll read on the outside more. But uh, the Mishnah Masechet Brachot actually gives a, a expression of what looks like to be this meeting point between prophecy and prayer. That when Rechamini Ben Dosa was, was davening for sick people, he would say, he'd go around, he can go around the hospital, he can go into a sick person's room and daven, and he could tell, are they going to live or not? He could tell if he could tell if 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 the if the prayer is going to work or not. I'm <laughs> He said, "Where do you get to? How do you know this?" 
אמר להם, אם שקורה תפילתי בפי, יודע אני שהוא מקובל. If my prayer is fluid within my, my mouth, I know that it was received. That it's מקובל, that the prayer is itself an acceptable or accepted prayer. ואם לאו יודע אני שהוא מטורף, and if the tefillah is not fluid in my mouth, I know שהוא מטורף here has different meanings in the Farshim, either means that my prayer is in a sense torn asunder, or means that the person themselves is going to be a trefa, is going to die from, from, their, from their illness, from their disease. So Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is saying, if the prayer is dripping through my mouth, I know that it's an accepted prayer. As if it's like this automatic thing that's happening on its own. Right? As if it's prayer comes through me, and it comes through this way, so I, I know that it's working. Like But if flow. it's not, yeah, like a flow. And if it's not, somehow he, he, he knew that it wasn't. By the way, the prayer, the first tefillah is Avraham davening for a sick person to be healed oh. and to come to life of, of Avimelech. Right? Hashem gave a plague to the household and Abraham's, Abraham has to daven for everybody to not die from this plague. Rabbi Hanin ben Dosa is, is kind of giving some thing. Then the Gemara goes on and says, Menahani mile. Where did this whole story come from? That he can pray and if he knows, if the, the prayer flows through him, it's, it's effective prayer, it's received. Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi damar kra, Shalom, shalom, merachok, ula karov, amar Hashem, rufativ. This is the whole pasuk in Yishayahu that Rav Sajigon, well, it's not the whole pasuk, <laughs> the whole phrase that Rav Sajigon quoted before in the story of Avraham. Hashem is Borenif Svatayim. Where does the expressivity of the lips come from? Oh, it comes from the Creator. Rabbi Hanin ben Nelson's prayer is not him speaking. It's, it's God's creative energy flowing through him. And if that is a fluid expression, Shalom, Shalom, Merachok, Ule Karov, Amar Hashem, There will be peace for those far, for those distant, for those close, and it will bring healing. This is the Pasuk in Yishayah. This is their, the, the Gemara's explanation for this strange story of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, who could tell by the quality of his expressiveness in prayer, where is this prayer coming from and where is it going to? This is a prayer that God has received, so the Gemara seems to be saying, Did it, is it a prayer that God is making happen? Oh, so if God's making that prayer happen, it's, it's, it's going to be effective. And I just want to say that this word... Well, while the Gemara here isn't speaking explicitly about prophecy, the next lines of the Gemara are all dealing about prophecy. They go on, the Gemara from here just launches into this whole discussion where the prophet's praying about these kind of people, uh, prophesizing for these kind of people, these kind of people, this generation, all time. The Gemara seems to take a hint here from this statement about Rabbi Hanin ben Dosa's prayer that we're talking about... Nevoah, without saying it explicitly. Here, this Gemara does a lot. If you take a more like associative read of what's going on in the Sugis of the Gemara, you can see that there's some kind of poetic link where one is leading to the next. So, so the Gemara here seems to also be continuing on this theme of a prophetic kind of prayer. And again, if we go back to what we saw in the Rashbam, prophecy is this funny thing where on the one hand the prophet is speaking, or in this case, praying. And on the other hand, a prophet is somebody who says God's words. Right? So who's speaking? Yeah. Who's, who's responsible for this prayer? It seems like the Gemara is kind of painting Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa's prayer as saying there are prayers where, where the divine 
um, ratzon somehow is just flowing through me, and so then it's clear that, that, that that's that's an effective prayer. But it sounds like he had to get himself into that state. You're assuming that. Right. He doesn't tell us. Bichlau Rebbe Chinin Mendoza is a pretty, uh, you know, lives on a pretty pretty um, high spiritual level. Um, so I'm actually going to hold off on the next makor from Rav Hirsch. We'll look at it afterwards. Come with me on the back of the page to another time. So where this the root of this word tefillah or palal in Hebrew pe lamed lamed appears. Okay, this is something that uh, seemingly has nothing to do with praying. When Yaakov Avinu, um, I actually believe that this pasuk comes from where, the end of Yaakov's life when he calls Yosef and his children to, to give them brachas. Yaakov says, To see your face, I never pilalti. So you could say, if it means pray, I never, I, I didn't even, I gave up even praying to see you. That's one way to, to like, if you want to force palalti to mean pray, that's what you would have to say. I never, I didn't, even, I didn't pray even to see your face, and now I see your children. But, but the, the Mepharshim say that pilalti means something a little different. Another, right, we know that in Hebrew the roots have multiple meanings that all are all part of one um, kind of inclusive meaning of the word. Rashi says, "Lo pilalti, lo milani libi, lachkor machshava shir panecha od." I never filled my heart with the thought, or to consider the thought that I would see your face again. This is Yaakov to Yosef. I didn't allow the thought. To fill my heart, the consideration to fill my heart that I would see you again. Lo pilalti. Plila, Rashi says, lashon machshava. Plila is a, is a thought, is a particular awareness. Kamo havi'i etza asi plila. Yeshayahu says, um, bring advice, do plila. Bring up some consideration. Tell me, give me a piece of advice, a suggestion, a machshava. So, lo pilalti, I never allowed myself to be filled with this thought, this consciousness, that I might see you again. Now, if that is one of the meanings of this root, palal, what would lehit palal mean? Allowing yourself. Lehit palal would be to, to do that within myself, to somehow um, Fill my heart with certain thoughts. Specifically, to fill my heart, I didn't allow my heart. To yeah, be I didn't allow my heart to be filled with the with the consideration, with the thought that I would see you. So the hit palel, if if it's a reflexive version of that act, it means somehow directing my my thoughts, the consciousness, to somehow fill my my awareness. Yeah. Lopilalti, my, my heart was never filled with that. Lehit Pala would be to fill my heart with a certain kind of, of awareness. Same question. Uh, it's like you're talking about, is that in, I, I could be wrong, it was a little bit. I thought, so Hit Pala, the vinyasa implies that you're doing with some, someone else, right? Like, uh, the verbs that, no, uh, Lehit Pala okay. is reflexive. Okay. It implies that you're doing something to yourself. Okay. Yeah. Which is, is a question we have to always be asking, what, what does it mean that I'm doing something to myself on? And with, with Avraham's first story, even, 
Am I prophesizing? Is he prophesizing within himself? Is he speaking God's words to himself? Is he speaking God's words outward? It's it's a but lehit becomes a hit pael becomes a a reflexive verb form where you do something, you bring some action upon yourself. So I want to read with you here um, a piece from Rav Shimshon Rafal Hirsch, which even though he's you know basically a modern perush, he's he's very he's trying always to really bring a refined understanding of the language to, to, to cue us into the meaning here. Um, and I'll maybe connect some of what he says here on this Pasuk Lo Pilalti with some of what he spoke in the first Pasuk of Avraham. Rav Hirsch says like this, Pilalti, Palal le, Karov le Balal. <coughs> he has another word, Hitbolulut. What does it mean? Hitbolulut is assimilation. Livlol means to assimilate something. He says Palal has something to do with Balal. And, you know, they even sound the same. And they've been pronounced more or less the same, especially in ancient times. He says that to balal something is to take an, an, an entity from outside and put it into another entity and mix them together until they become one thing. Like solvent and solution, whatever. Yeah, but they mix together. Like bilbul? Yes. Like bilbul, like bavel. Kisham balal etzvatam. And just as balal, to mix things together, is a um, physical form of taking one entity and mixing it into the other to become one, palal is that same action in the spiritual plane. Palal perusho lahachnis gorem ruchani el toch machshavot o matzavim litzok behem rayon, emet ikaron v'chulei v'chach l'chaberu l'acher otam. He says that palal is to take a um, gorem ruchani, it's a funny term, but like a spiritual cause, <laughs> some spiritual matter. Here it will be a, 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 an idea or an awareness, really, and to enter it into one's machshavot, one's thoughts and awareness, or to specific circumstances, and to allow a certain principle or truth to be... Um, to emerge there, and to unite a circumstance or a state of awareness with this spiritual principle of truth. You take it and you enter it in and they become one thing. Mikan palal shofet. Okay, I'm not going to go into that so deeply, but we'll see in the next psukim that plilim in the Torah are judges. Palal is also to judge. And he says that the reason a judge is called a, a, a palal or that what they do is plila, is because they take justice and they insert it into circumstances and then create a entity of a just entity within within that life circumstance. They take the principle of tzedek and the, of mishpat and they enter it into reality. They assimilate that principle into a circumstance. shehit palel perusho. He sort of first says, "What is lehit palel again? To do this to myself." to assimilate something into myself, to pour into myself godly concepts. And it becomes one. It's like a mixture. It makes it all up. To, be, to allow it to, to be integrated and absorbed into my being. Yes. So this is Raversh's opinion, at least. He says, Jewish tefillah, Jewish prayer, Rehersh says, is not the outpouring of the inner, of the insides of a person outward. 
Bamitut Habaot Michutz Ladam. He says that Tfilah is, or Behit Palel is filling the heart. Remember what Yaakov said? I never filled my heart with that idea. Whoa. Filling the heart with godly truths or with truths that come to that exist beyond me. Filling my heart with a truth that exists beyond me. He goes on and he says that if tefillah was merely the outpouring or the expression of what I feel in my heart, and I'll, I'll already say what he says in some of his other perushim, um, well, we have words for that in Torah. It's not that there's no place for that. We have sicha, we have tachanunim, we have bakasha. Those are expressions of my feeling and need and desire outward. But he says, he's trying to define tefillah. He says, it would be ridiculous to um, command large groups of people to express what is in their hearts at the same time every day through the same words. There's some logic to that. Right? It'd be ridiculous to say, this is what you feel at this time of day, and that's what you should say. There's something logical. Reverse, you know, he, he had a very unique combination of um, you know, rational thought and mysticism. This is, this, is, this is where he's gone with it. Now I'm going to the end. Velohi hitpalel perusho litzok beatzmo amitut amitot nitzchiot benot kaima. He says tefillah is to again pour, enter into, allow to trickle into myself eternal, everlasting truths benot kaima that are sustainable. Dafka biglal shen asiyot lihitmaitu leelem hekarato bahakarato shemakfarne elu. And he says dafka because these are things that I am prone to forget. He's saying tefillah is, is, in a sense, like reminding myself of the most essential things on a, on a daily basis because I forget them all the time. These essential truths that I need to continue to, to re-engender within myself. So this is Rav Hirsch's. This is Rav Hirsch's. Very much I have certain uh, things that don't sit so well with me, certain things that do sit well with me, but... It doesn't matter what, what sits well with me or not. We're trying to trying to hear and see some of the what's, some of the uh, approaches of what is prayer. This is what we're just saying. Yit palel is to, to, in a sense, like the, we water a plant. Saying what we water ourselves with, with godly consciousness and awareness. And we have to keep watering ourselves with it because we, it doesn't stick with us. We walk out uh, after we daven and we, we, we kind of forget about that. So we do it again. And he's distinguishing it dafka from me expressing what's in my heart, which is, I think, a, somewhat of a radical claim, right? Because I think that's how. What, what do you mean, davening? Davening is uh, davening is um, praying to have farnasa and get married and be healthy and, and be happy and get out of debt. I don't know. That's but that's. I'm praying for my needs. What do you mean? It's to enter godly ideas into myself. It's not to say what I know. Praying is to say what's in my what's in my heart. Not to put things in my heart. But there has to be some kind of meeting place, no? Between yeah. the actual experience yeah. and like way that we pray and what Rav Hirsch is describing, there has to be some meeting place, doesn't there? Between this whatever this kind for for, him to, for this claim to mean anything, doesn't it have to also relate to what what prayer is? I mean, you open the sitter and it's asking for things. What that's to put godly. Truths into my heart when I ask for refuah, that's to put God. You know, he probably has a yeah, way yeah. to miyashiv that. But but there is a place where, where these ideas live together. We're not there. Okay, right now we're looking at the different pieces. So the next pasuk I brought is from Parsha Mishpatim, where two men are fighting and they they hurt they hurt a pregnant woman. 
the end of the Pasuk says they have to go to Plilim. They have to go to judgment. Plilim, Rashi says, Alpi Dayanim. They have to be judges. Plilim is a judge. So is, is prayer judging? Am I judging when I pray? Well, if we go back to some of our core examples of people who pray, starting with Avraham, there is some degree of judgment going on there. Because basically, on the simplest level, prayer is things are like this, and I decide that they should be different. <laughs> and the truth is, if you look in, I, I did a search for the, the roots Palal and the word Palel in Chumash and in Tanakh, our, our major mitpalelers are Avram, Moshe, and Chana, at least through the first books of Torah. And these are people who, what they're doing constantly is judging, is, is, is in a sense bringing judgment to God. Saying, God, you're doing this, this is the situation, it's got to change. Challenging the status quo. Challenging the status quo, thank you. Challenging God. So is prayer challenging God? So is prayer challenging God? That, in a simple sense, it's prayer is also challenging God, yeah. It's challenging this, this, the current circumstance in terms of what, how God is, is guiding the world in this moment. And, and I think we're going to skip the next pasuk from, from Shmuel, but there's a pasuk in Tehillim that says, Vaya'amod Pinchas Vayifalel Vate'atzar HaMagifah. You remember what Pinchas did when Masa Kazbi and Zimri, and they were they were doing these these acts in front of the whole nation, and they were doing crazy idol worship, and comes Pinchas with a spear and he stabs it through the two of them, and stops the plague. David Hamelech calls that Vayifalel. Pinchas got up and he mifaleled. So look what the Gemara Brachos does for this. Brachos vavam and bet. Is, this is one of the essential sugyas about prayer. They say, Avram Avinu, Minalan de Kava Makom, Yashkim Avram Baboker El Hamakom Asher Ahmad Sham. The Gemara here is, is, is relating to a statement that Avraham was Kovea Makom for Tfila, which we'll get to what Kviat Makom, why that's so important to designate space and relate to space when we pray. But Avraham, the Gemara says, was somebody who designated space for prayer. And the Gemara says, How do you know this? Well, it says because he woke up the next morning when he was talking to God about Stom. And he came back to the Makom Asher Ahmad Sham. He comes back to the place where he had stood before. Now again, the Torah never says that what Avraham was doing was mitpaleling. It says that he stood there. Oh, but that word standing, that means something to us, doesn't it? Ve'ein amida elatfila. To stand means to pray. How do we know this? Shinemar v'yamod pinchas v'yifalel. Because Pinchas stood and halaled. Chazal's looking to the Maase Pinchas, to David Amelech's description of what Pinchas did as Plila, and saying that is Tfila, that is Amida in Tfila, the standing prayer. Pinchas was not Davinik Shemona Esrei, sorry to say, you know. But what Pinchas was doing was executing judgment. <laughs> And Chazal and David Melech call that prayer, a form of tefillah. And it's wild because Dafka, Pinchas, you know, plays up even more in Chazal. Pinchas was, was, in a sense, acting on his own accord. 
Okay, he figured out, Chazal says he figured out the proper halacha in that moment, but, but nobody told Pinchas to do this. And if you just look at that story, God is, is, is punishing people who are going against God's will, and here comes Pinchas and decides to take matters into his own hands. He's doubting. And Avram Avinu, God wants to kill the people of Stom, and Avram Avinu decides to take matters into his own hands and fight God on God's decision. He's doubting. And Moshe Rabbeinu at, at, at Cheda Egel comes to God and says, you can't kill the people you want to kill. He's Daphne. And Chana says, you made me this way, but you have to change it. She's Daphne. This is tefillah. Executing judgment, deciding something. And bringing it to God, holding God accountable. Based on what you think. Chutzpah. Is that what you're saying? Imagine now I had that chutzpah. Oh. Been a, a that's that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring one more makor. I'll, I'll take your shoots to go a few minutes this time, but not more than that. This is one makor that just I absolutely love. If you remember, Rachel and Leah had a lot of um, friction between them, a lot of conflict, and, and a lot of it revolved around um, first the wedding, but really Leah having all these children and Rachel feeling left out. And at some point, Rachel gets her um, um, maidservant, her pilegesh, to, to have children with Yaakov as if those are her own children, right? So I think the first one is, is Dan and then Naftali, right? Her, her pilegesh gives birth to Naftali. And when Naftali is born, Rachel says, Vatomer Rachel Naftulei Elokim Nift. Now, that word kind of sounds like tefillah, but the pay is mixed. It's not in the right order, but the letters are there, right? I naftuled in a godly way with my sister, and therefore I'm going to call him naftali, my, nif, my, my naftal. I naftaled with her. So look at Rashi. Naftulei elokim niftalti. Menachem ben Saruk perusho b'machberet smit petio. So Menachem ben Saruk, who's one of the early um, grammarians, said that naftulei comes from the word petio. Hakanaf petio techelet. What is petio? It's entangled and wound together. I was entangled with my sister. Not only that, naftulei elokim niftalti. Me and my sister were fighting with. God fighting. I fought with my sister in this somehow godly way. And I was able to get through it. And so I had this kid named Naftali, my struggle. Chiburim, or look at how he Chiburim me'etamakom nitchabarti imachoti liskot lebanim. Such a wild kind of explanation Rashi's giving. Uh, connections, attachments from God. Right? God, God created the situation, in a sense, that caused me to be attached and cling together with my sister in all these ways to merit children, and, and, it, and it happened. That was all Menachem ben Saruk. Rashi says, Rashi says, comes from which means, in a sense, um, look what he says, what's it's stubbornness and um, brazenness, so to speak, or really sometimes it means perversiveness. But Barashi is saying it means a kind of stubbornness. 
Nitakashli vihiftsarti atirot viniftulim la makom la yotshavala khuti. I was um, stubborn and I was persistent. Naftuleo kim nifati, I was persistent with God to become to receive the same status as my sister, to have a child. God, God agreed to my stubbornness. So naftali so far either means um, entanglement or stubbornness. Unkulus says naftuleo kim niftati is a lashon tefila. Kmo nipuli nipule el niftalti. Bakashot hachavivot lefanav, venit kabalti kachoti. Nipule el niftalti bakashot hachavivot lefanav. The nipulim of God, or to God, I niftalti. I prayed prayers to God. Niftule elohim niftalti. I prayed my prayers to God. They were bakashot hachavivot lefanav. They were beloved requests before God. And I was received and accepted. My prayer was accepted like my, and I became, like my sister to have children. Niftalti, nitkablat vilati. Right, what does it mean? I was niftalti. My prayer was answered. My prayer was received. Now, you know, the, the lesson of Unkulus is that Rachel says, Kabil Hashem ba'uti. Before God, I requested. In my requesting this um, desired prayer that I would have a children, that I have children. So all of Unkulus's parishes, Naftuleo Kim Niftalti, is that I'm praying and my prayer was answered. And now you ask, what do you mean? How do you get Tfilah from Naftulim? Like it's, it's a cute changing the word around, but does it really mean that? So, one thing is that maybe it does, maybe the word changes form, and that's what Unkulus is saying, that sometimes it's tefillah, sometimes it's ptilah, niftala, naftali. Another way to, to understand this is that Chazal actually lists numerous words for prayer, and one of them is tefillah, and one of them is nipul. As Moshe Rabbeinu said, when telling over what happened at Har Sinai, what's the word? I was et napal. Nafal. To fall down. To fall down before God. You look in the Torah, when Moshe prays, it's not so uncommon that he falls on his face. And guess what? When we pray, we also fall on our face. We have something called nefilat which means the face falling. Which is a form of prayer. We're not we're not gonna get into Tachnu now, but just register that. That there's a form of prayer which is standing. Standing up to God, executing judgment, saying you gotta change things, gotta be this way. There's a form of prayer which is falling on my face. We only fall on our face on Yom Kippur. That's what no, okay. But that's 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 because we're far away from no. the essence of it. Bowing itself is, is meant to be prostration. We but we're not getting in we're not getting into that now. Okay. So I just want to wrap up 
by by look by 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 looking at this Gemara and, and 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 tying together these these last meanings of prayer, or, or really look let's look at all these meanings together on some level. We have prayer that is a form of some kind of prophetic expression. It seems like God is somehow speaking through the prophet who prays. That's one meaning of tefillah. It seems. We have a form of prayer that is, in a sense, being filled with a certain kind of awareness. Which, if you think about it, might not be that different from the first version of prayer, the prophetic prayer. Because there God is doing it, and here I'm doing it, perhaps. But if I go even deeper, where does my own thought process begin? That's also a godly process, maybe in a, in a more veiled way. We have the kind of prayer which seems even more distant from that, which is, I decided something and I tell God it's got to be this way. Which again is, I got a certain idea in mind and I bring that idea to God, or I express that idea outward, or I act on it in Pinchas' case, but, but in Tefillah we're acting out our judgments. That's another form. And then we have this other kind of Tefillah, which is, I'm all tangled up in this situation. I'm not giving up on it, and I'm, I'm, I'm begging and falling on my face and begging and falling on my face, which is another form of prayer, which is I'm c- continuing to ask for that thing that I desire to be real, to come to fruition. Which once we say all these things together, while they appear differently in the different stories and the different instances, the actual process that's being described here isn't all that different. This is all a process of some kind of will being expressed, some kind of idea or desire becoming um, embodied into the person and then expressed outward. And, And in a prayer that, so to speak, works, that thing happens. That thing comes to fruition. In the Lashon here of, uh, of Rashi, God agreed to my, my begging. It's like that's an expression of truth mm-hmm. both inside and outside. There's an expression of truth, and then for the prayer, well, what we call a prayer that was effective, it means that that truth becomes reflected in, in, in reality, not just something in my heart and mind. Now, I, I want to look at these last this last mugger from the Gemara Brachot and, and kind of just leave it here, and then we'll come we'll pick up next week in a in a, in a different but related um, direction. The Gemara here is talking about that before you pray, you know you shouldn't get yourself involved in all other sorts of things. First thing you do in the morning, you should be dealing with with tefillah. It's a sort for a person to deal with their own. Um, their own business and matters before they daven. Shenemar tzedek lefanav yehalech v'yasem aderch pamav sum tehillim. Tzedek lefanav yehalech. Justice should walk before him v'yasem aderch pamav. And and I'm saying basically that he will place the footsteps on on the path. What does that have to do with not doing your thing before you pray? So how she says tzedek. What do you mean, tzedek lefanavte yehalech? The first thing, right? What should be the first thing that you're walking with in the morning? Should be tzedek. Rashi says tzedek, justice, is tefillah. 
Because tefillah justifies you to your Creator. And only after you justify yourself to God should you then walk and do, do your things, for take your footsteps for that day. But the first walking of the day is tzedek. The justification to my Creator. Now, this can mean so many things. But I want to just kind of bring to mind here that both the story of, of Avimelech, when God first appears to him in a dream, he says, what does he say? Hagoigam tzadik taharog. He's bringing God to task over the... He's bringing... He's bringing God to task over what he appears to be injustice. You're going to kill a just person with an unjust person? What does Abraham pray before God? You're going to kill the wicked along with the righteous? What is... Moshe, it's, it's about Sedek, a lot of these. A lot of these instances of prayer are... God, there's something unjust here. You, you are the just one. Please act justly. But Rashi takes it even deeper, which is matzdikolubo. Oh, that somehow when I pray, I am justifying my own existence to my creator. And I, and I think, so how? It's a great question. And, and I think one way to see it is what we saw even in the most, maybe the most relatable story of all these we saw is Rachel and Leah. There's something I just want so badly. Okay, you're asking the right questions. Who are we to decide what's unjust and what's just? But we do it anyway. It is the nature of being a human being that we walk around judging things and, and justifying things and, and unjustifying things. This should be, this shouldn't be. That's, that is the human experience. Is it justifying our existence or basically saying, Hashem, look, I, I'm praying for something righteous. I'm trying to be righteous. Okay, that's one way to do it. But let's even just, before we even get to I'm doing something righteous, what was Rachel doing? Rachel was saying, I want something so badly, and I'm not, I'm not, not wanting it. I'm not going to let go of it. Now, the question becomes, is what I want justifiable or not? Do I have a right to exist in the way I do? <laughs> am I just, am I just, you know, out to lunch and like disconnected from reality? Or does this desire that is within me something real? Something that truly has a place here? That's okay. When I'm praying for something, I don't know. Petition. I don't know. If I'm making a petition to Rachel, how many years was she dominant? She doesn't know. Do I deserve to live in the way that I do or not? Does my my will and desire of my life have a place in God's world? And the prayer is a continued attempt to justify my own being. Here's what I am. How I am. Are you my creator? Well... Help this thing make sense. And you can apply that to all. Okay, I need Parnassa, I need this, I need that. These are, these are the most, in, in a sense, the most tangible ways that I experience this question. Do I have a right to be here? Is my existence justifiable? Does God approve of my life? Somehow, prayer is engaging in that, in that is grappling with that very question. At least... Some kinds of prayer. At least some kinds of tefillah and the kinds we've been seeing that kind of in <laughs> this entwisted and tangled, right? I think really all the meanings Rashi brings up here, Rafa and Leah, they're all they're all the same. They're all part of one thing. We are entangled with life. We are entangled with our life situations, our inner situations, our outer circumstances. And tefillah is the place where we 
present this picture of who I am, this experience of who I am to my creator. And I'm, and I'm asking this question and I'm, and I'm also asking for specific, for, for my desire within this whole entangled, I don't want to call it a mess because it's, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of art. But in this entangled painting, this entangled art on the canvas, God, let's make, please, let's, let's make this work. Let's make this, let's, let's bring the tzedek into this picture. Let's let that, that divine reality and rightness reflect itself and shine itself through my life and through my circumstance and my situation. Where my will and your will can potentially meet. Where what I want and what you want might actually be part of one thing and it might actually happen. Where the, you know, to take it to the, the kind of most... Um, spiritualized version, which we see Tavram, where is my prayer part of your nevuah? Are my words beloved to you as one who speaks your words? You hear, what I'm, you hear, you hear this? What we saw in the Rashbam? Avram was somebody who spoke God's words, and God says, so I listen to, to his words. Rabbi Hanina Mendoza said it flows through my mouth, and I know that it's a prophetic message coming through me. So that's a very high level of channeling the divine um, reality through one's prayer. But the, the, the small versions that, that you and I experience on a daily day basis, it's part of that same process. It's engaging in that same process. God is the creator. God makes reality as it is. God makes me as it is. I have That includes my desire. That includes my questions. That includes my wonderings. I want, I want this existence to be given legitimacy. I want this existence to feel like, oh wait, yeah, there's something right here. There is something godly here. We're going to pause here today. It's Mamash, a beginning of a beginning. Um, we'll see you next Monday. Oh, it's only once a week? Only once a week. Well, you get to Dublin however many times. Many of these recordings are from Rabbi Ami's ongoing weekly classes given at Yeshivat Sharei Shalom in Jerusalem. For more information, go to shalom.org.il forward slash about. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Rav Daniel Cohn. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.